0: And please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one. I'm gonna read and preach verses 18 through 25 this morning. We're continuing in our series on the book of Matthew called The King and His Kingdom. Last week we looked at the line of the king. This morning we're gonna look at the birth of the king, the birth of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and the savior of sinners. One of the most important questions we could ever ask and answer, and the question this book seeks to answer is the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who was he? Who is he? Who, was he just a man? Or was he also God? was he just an inspiring teacher or was he also the divine savior? Who is Jesus really? And what does who he is have to do with me? Who is Jesus is a good question to ask someone you know who's not a Christian. You could ask them, have you ever read what the Bible says about who Jesus is and see what they say? It can also be a good question, question to ask someone you know who's a Christian. You could ask, Who is Jesus to you personally in your daily life, your daily walk, your daily experience? And then share together about all that Jesus means to you in terms of who he is for you. That's a question actually that we elders ask sometimes in a membership interview. Who is Jesus to you personally in your daily life and experience? Who is Jesus is one of the most important questions we could ever ask. And answer, and it's the question Matthew is answering in this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And in the passage before us this morning about the birth of Jesus, Matthew tells us three things about who he is. He is from the Holy Spirit. He is the one who saves his people from their sins. And he is Emmanuel, God with us and we'll see those three truths as we work our way through this passage together. But let me pray first and then we'll begin. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to know you more. We wanna grow in our knowledge of you. Not according to who we think you are or who we like you to be, but according to who you really are as revealed in your word, like in the passage we have before us. So we pray that you would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, so that we can really see the truths that are here for us and help us to embrace them by faith and then by the enabling grace of your spirit to apply them to our lives. All for your glory. We pray in your name, Jesus, amen. Matthew chapter one, reading verses 18 through 25. This is God's word given to us through Matthew. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Well, as you can see there in your sermon notes, we're gonna look at the three truths about Jesus that I've already mentioned that Matthew is communicating here. First, that Jesus is from the Holy Spirit. We'll see that in verses 18 through 20. Second, that he saves his people from their sins. Verse 21, finally, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. The remaining verses, 22 through 25. So let's begin with what Matthew says about Jesus being from the Holy Spirit. We read in verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. So this is how it happened. We don't have to guess. We don't have to speculate. God has told us how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. We read that when his mother Mary had been betrothed, to Joseph, pause, betrothal, you may know, was, as one source put it, a legally binding engagement breakable only by divorce. So it was more serious than getting engaged, but less serious than full marriage. Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and it says that before they came together, physically, maritally, She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Mary began to show, but Mary and Joseph weren't married yet, so it was an unwed pregnancy. But what people didn't know, what actually Joseph didn't know yet, what only Mary knew was that the child was from the Holy Spirit. We'll talk more about that in just a second. In verse 19, we read about Joseph's response to the news that Mary was pregnant. And her husband Joseph, and notice he's called her husband, even though they're not fully married yet. Again, they were betrothed, this legally binding engagement, breakable only by divorce. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So he wasn't in angry man, desiring to seek revenge, he was a just man, unwilling to put Mary to shame. He was just, but he was also kind, a good example for us to consider and follow. But, verse 20, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, So think back to the genealogy that we looked at last time, son of David. Do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so we learn that Jesus is from the Holy Spirit. This is the doctrine of the virgin birth or more specifically the virgin conception. God the Holy Spirit miraculously caused Mary to conceive even though she was a virgin. Verse 18 said that before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 20 says that that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. This was promised in the Old Testament in Isaiah seven fourteen, which is quoted down in verse 23 of our passage, behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And what was promised in the Old Testament was then fulfilled in the New Testament. We read in Luke chapter 1, verses 34 and 35. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, The child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Jesus is from the Holy Spirit. Two ways we should respond to this particular truth by way of application. First, we should take God at his word. We should take God at his word regarding this. Some people do not believe in the virgin birth, perhaps you know someone who doesn't because it doesn't fit into their understanding of how things work. How could a virgin conceive? But we need to recognize that our understanding as human beings is finite and it is fallen because of sin. And just because something doesn't fit our understanding of how things work doesn't mean it isn't true That's like a child standing in front of a chalkboard full of complex mathematical formulas and symbols concluding that it's all just gibberish because he can't understand it. When in reality it makes perfect sense, it all fits together perfectly, it's some sort of proof that is wonderful and beautifully true. We all need to recognize the limitations of our finite and fallen minds and not make them the ultimate standard of what's true. The ultimate standard of what's true is the mind of God revealed in his word. And when God says in his word that Jesus was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary, we should take him at his word. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. Nothing is impossible with him. If he can bring a whole universe into being, and if he can give life to the spiritually dead, then... Surely he can cause a virgin to conceive. That's not too difficult for him. And maybe you don't have any trouble believing in the doctrine of the virgin birth. And if that's the case, first of all, praise God for that because the faith that you have came from him, not you. But also ask him for faith to take him at his word in other areas of your life and experience where you may struggle to believe what he has said, what he has promised. Pray for grace to take him at his word wherever that is most needed for you. So we should respond to this by taking God at his word. Secondly, we should trust Jesus as a perfect savior. We should trust Jesus as a perfect savior. Jesus is fully man and fully God and therefore provides a full salvation for us. He's fully God. He's the Son of God incarnate, the second person of the Trinity. And because he's fully God, he's able to bear the infinite weight of the wrath of God. He's able to satisfy the eternal wrath of God against our sin on the cross. No mere human could do that could bear that wrath, could satisfy that infinite and eternal wrath. Only God can satisfy the wrath of God and say it is finished. But he's also fully man. And because he's fully man, he's able to substitute for man and offer himself as a sacrifice for man on the cross. He's able to satisfy the perfect justice of of God in my place condemned he stood as we sing he was born of Mary so he was fully human but he was from the Holy Spirit so he was fully God fully human to satisfy the perfect justice of God and fully God to satisfy the infinite and eternal wrath of God and thus he provides a full and perfect salvation for us, and we should trust Him as a perfect Savior. God gave us just the right medicine to cure our disease of sin. No other medicine would do. It had to have both ingredients in one medicine. Two natures in one person, the divine nature and the human nature in the one person of Jesus Christ. That is exactly the medicine we need. And that's exactly the medicine we have. And we should take it and rely on it every day. We should trust Jesus as our perfect savior. Well, that leads to our second main point this morning. In addition to telling us that Jesus is from the Holy Spirit, Matthew tells us that Jesus saves his people from their sins. Let's consider that now together. Look at verse 21. This is the angel speaking to Joseph, verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus means Yahweh saves, or the Lord saves. And let's consider what the angel says about who Jesus will save, and then what he will save them from. In terms of who Jesus will save, it says that he will save his people from their sins. This is one of the proof texts for the doctrine of limited atonement. The L in the acronym TULIP for what's known as the five points of Calvinism, which is really just a summary of what the Bible says about who we are as sinners and how it is that God saves sinners and then brings them all the way home to glory, and limited atonement, or perhaps a better name would be definite redemption, says that Jesus died on the cross to atone for the sins of a definite number of people, for the elect, for all those the Father chose to save before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1.4. Jesus died to save his people as it says here in Matthew 1. Jesus shed his blood for his church Acts 20:28. 20, Jesus laid down his life for the sheep John 10:11. Jesus gave himself up for his bride Ephesians 5:25. You shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. His mission was not to make people savable. His mission was to actually save his people. And he accomplished that mission on the cross. It is finished meant mission accomplished. He came to save his people and that's exactly what he did. And because he did that We now can proclaim the gospel to all people with confidence, knowing that God will be faithful to gather in the elect. So our evangelism will be successful because Christ's atonement was successful. If this is a new idea to you, let me encourage you to grab a copy of a free booklet that we have out in the narthex at the resources board. It's called What is the Atonement? by Richard Phillips. And it's an excellent summary of what Jesus did on the cross, especially the section on the extent of the atonement. Uh, He explains this doctrine from Scripture more fully and would encourage you to grab a copy of that on your way out. What is the Atonement? by Richard Phillips. And really, this biblical truth is meant to encourage us as believers. If you're a believer, think about when you were saved. It may have been when you were a child, when you first put your trust in Christ for your salvation. It may have been when you were in college, perhaps, or some other point later in life. But there's also a sense in which you were saved 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary. Calvary there's a sense in which you were saved on the cross. Before the foundation of the world, God chose to save you, so your salvation goes even further back than that, all the way back into eternity. So your salvation is something way bigger than what happened when you first believed. Your salvation was arranged by the Father before creation, and then accomplished by the Son on the cross, and then applied by the Spirit in your conversion. And that should encourage us to know that our Father had us in mind before there was time. To know that our Savior had us in mind when He died on the cross. And when the Spirit regenerated our hearts and effectually called us to Himself, He was really just applying to us the redemption that had already been accomplished on the cross and arranged in the eternal council of the eternal God. We know that our salvation was no small thing, but how much bigger it is when we realize how far back it goes. Sort of like the first time you really came to understand how vast the universe is, if you can remember that. You knew that the earth wasn't small, it was big. But when you realized how much bigger the whole universe was, it blew your mind. It's much the same with our salvation. Hearing the gospel and having the eyes of your heart opened to the truth of the gospel and repenting of your sin and putting your trust in Jesus, that's no small thing. But when you realize all that had to happen before that in order for you to be saved, when you realize all that did happen before that by God's grace in order for you to be saved, that blows your mind. When we realize that our salvation was decreed and secured long before we first believed, when we realize that Jesus actually saved us on that cross, for he will save his people from their sins, that can fill our hearts to overflowing with encouragement. That is a well of encouragement we can draw from any time that will never run dry. So that's what the angel says about who Jesus will save. He will save his people. What does he say about what Jesus will save them from? He says that he will save his people from their sins. That's what we need to be saved from our sins and the wrath of God, the judgment of God, the punishment from God that our sins deserve. Matthew's original readers, despite what many of them may have thought, didn't need to be saved from the Romans. They needed to be saved from their sins. For us today, we don't need to be saved from loneliness. We don't need to be saved from unhappiness in life. We don't need to be saved from lacking a sense of purpose or fulfillment in life. Those are just the symptoms. We need to be saved from the disease, which is our sin. The disease is what produces the symptoms, and we need the cure for that. And Jesus is the cure. Jesus came to save his people from their sins, And he will save you if you turn to him in faith this morning. He has saved us from our sin in terms of our justification. He is saving us from our sin in terms of our sanctification. And he will save us from our sin in terms of our glorification one day. J.C. Ryle wrote, he saves them from the guilt of sin by washing them in his own atoning blood. He saves them from the dominion of sin by putting in their hearts the sanctifying spirit. He saves them from the presence of sin when he takes them out of this world to rest with him. He will save them from all the consequences of sin when he shall give them a glorious body at the last day. Jesus saves his people from their sins. Well, Matthew tells us a third thing about Jesus in the passage. Let's look at that under our third and final point. Matthew tells us that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Look at verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet And then he quotes Isaiah 7, 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And let's go ahead and read 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus. And by the way, as I said before, I think Joseph sets a good example for us here. He is pure. It says that he and Mary were betrothed, but they had not yet come together. He is just. He seemed to have a sense of right and wrong that was informed by the law of God. He is compassionate. He was unwilling to put Mary to shame, even though he thought she had wronged him. He was patient. He didn't act hastily, but he, quote, considered these things. He was believing. He took the angel at his word. He believed what the angel told him. And he was obedient. When he woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Not when it was convenient for him, not when he finally got around to it after a while, but when he awoke, he obeyed. And may God give all of us the grace to follow his godly example, to be pure and just and compassionate, to be patient and believing and obedient. But let's consider what Matthew says about Jesus being Emmanuel. God with us, look again at verse 22. And this, or rather all this, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, and just note that phrase and what it tells us about the inspiration of scripture, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. So if you open up your Bible and read Isaiah 714, you're not just reading the words of Isaiah, you're reading the words of God you're reading what the Lord spoke by the prophet. God was the voice, Isaiah was just the mouthpiece. God was the hand, as it were, Isaiah the pen. And that's true of every verse in the Bible. Every verse in the Bible is written by man in a very real sense, with each author's unique style and vocabulary coming through. But every verse is also breathed out by God and is therefore profitable for us. As Jesus told the devil a few chapters from now in Matthew, chapter four, verse four, but he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God with us. This in many ways is the whole point of Jesus' birth. That God would dwell with us and that we would dwell with God. The reason Jesus is from the Holy Spirit. The reason Jesus saves his people from their sins is so that he can be with us and we can be with him for all eternity. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he promises to be with us always. Think of the very last words of this book, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus dwells in our hearts now through faith. Ephesians three seventeen. And when we die we go to be with Jesus, which is far better. Philippians one twenty three. And when he returns, we will be with him forever on the new earth. Revelation 21, 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Until that day comes, the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel, that Jesus is God with us and and that he dwells in our hearts, knowing that, knowing that he is with us, can give us several things we badly need. Knowing that God is with us can give us courage. So kids, when you have to go down into the basement to get something, that can be scary, right? But not if your mom or dad is with you. If your mom or dad is with you, then you don't feel scared. God is with us always and knowing that can give us courage no matter our circumstances. Fear not for I am with you, Isaiah 41.10. Knowing that God is with us can also give us comfort, comfort. When we're sad, when we're grieving, it's helpful at times to have someone with us, someone keeping us company. And even if they might not know what to say, just their presence is a comfort. How much more can that be the case with God, the God of all comfort, the source of all comfort who comforts us in all our affliction, Second Corinthians 1, 3 and 4. Knowing that God is with us can also give us peace. When all around us there is unrest, and inside us there is turmoil, knowing that God is with us can give us peace. The God of peace will be with you, Philippians four nine. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John fourteen twenty seven knowing that god is with us can also give us motivation for holiness just like when someone's watching we're less likely to do something wrong so knowing that god is with us can spur us on to holiness god told abraham in genesis 17:1 i am god almighty walk before me and be blameless Every moment of our lives, we are to walk before God. Every moment of our lives is lived in the presence of God. That can encourage us to be blameless and to pursue holiness by his grace and for his glory. And finally, knowing that God is with us can give us joy, joy, Remember what the end of Psalm 16 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Jesus is from the Holy Spirit. He saves his people from their sins and he is Emmanuel, God with us. Knowing that can give us courage, comfort, peace, motivation for holiness, and joy. One author wrote, no greater blessing can be conceived than for God to dwell with his people. That is the blessing we have through faith in Jesus Christ. We have it now now, And we will have it fully and forever when he returns. When the dwelling place of God is with man. When he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Let's pray together. God, we do look forward to that day when we will be with you forever, with resurrected bodies on the new earth, with all of your redeemed people for all eternity. Until that day comes, help us to draw courage and comfort and peace and motivation for holiness and joy from the fact that you are with us. Emmanuel, God with us. May we live each day before you and for you in light of what our Savior has done for us. We pray in his name, amen.